Welcome to the Dream Job System, the only podcast that provides proven tangible strategies to help you land a job you love without traditional experience and without applying online. Get ready to level up your job search with your host, Austin Belsack. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Job System podcast. I'm your host, Austin Belsack, and we are back with our first Ask Austin Anything episode of 2023. So if you've been a longtime listener, you're familiar with these, and I am grateful to you. Thank you so much for sticking around and checking out all these episodes. If you are new, we do this every single month. Basically, I source questions from you, all of our listeners, and I pick a few to answer live here on the podcast. So if you have a burning question that you want me to answer live, Just head to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. It's the letter A three times and you can submit your question there or you can just send it to me in an email and let me know it's for this episode. But I got five awesome questions for you today that's gonna cover a lot of topical stuff and some stuff around content and changes that I've made, burnout, et cetera. So without further ado, let's dive in. The first question comes from Joe, who's asking, how should we approach the job search in today's climate, i.e. big layoffs in large organizations, so now there are more, quote, experienced and highly qualified people hitting up their colleagues for references? So this is a great question, because the job search is always competitive, and we need to take an approach to combat that, right? Everybody listening to this is going to have a different set of experiences, range of experiences, and they're going to be targeting different roles. But at the end of the day, we can all do things to set ourselves apart from the competition, even competition that is more experienced and more qualified on paper than we might be. That's kind of the essence of our entire system, right? So the first thing that we need to understand is that, yes, there are a lot of people entering the space from these layoffs when we look at those numbers on paper. But in the grand scheme of things, the total number of people entering the job market is actually very, very small. So if we look at the data, specifically a survey done by LinkedIn recently, what they basically found was that one in three Americans are actively job searching at any given time. And there's 120 million people who are working in the US, which basically means at any given time, there are 40 million people out there who are job searching. So in the last about 20 days, or at least in the first month of this year, big tech laid off about 40,000 people. So 40,000 out of 40 million is a very, very, very small number. So I just say that to put this in context that yes, there are some more people entering the market. Yes, they are coming from these big name companies. And I would say that on paper in the traditional search, that definitely gives them a bit of an advantage. But it's not like the market is being flooded with, you know, 50% new job seekers or whatever it is. This is a very, very, very small fractional percentage of the total people or the total market of people looking for jobs. So I want you to know that first. The second thing is that we just need to find ways to differentiate ourselves, and we need to double down on things that work. So a lot of these folks, they're not going to be doing the stuff that you and I are talking about here. Frankly, what I found is that people who are coming from these big name companies, they tend to rely on their more traditional experience because it works. You know, if you have Google or Microsoft or Amazon on your resume, people are attracted to that. And even if you were, you know, laid off or part of a reduction, that brand name still carries value. So because of that, these folks go through the same process that frankly, many of us do, which is, all right, you know, I'm just going to spin up my resume, update it a little bit, write some cover letters and apply to jobs online. And I think I should be able to do pretty well. So we know that that doesn't always work. It may work a little bit better for people coming from these backgrounds. But overall, you can set yourself up for success by getting out there and doing exactly what we talk about all the time 
which is working to build relationships with people who can influence your ability to get hired and turning them into champions for you. And then finding creative ways to illustrate your value on your terms so that you can focus on your message and your value and make it crystal clear. And one of my favorite ways to do that is the value validation project. So I know that it can be tempting to read the headlines and feel like the job market is flooded with all these super qualified people from these amazing companies who are going to beat everybody else out for jobs. But that's simply not true. And if you do the things that we talk about in these podcast episodes, in the content on the blog, in my LinkedIn posts, et cetera, you are not going to have a problem competing with these people and everybody else to edge them out for interviews and for job offers. The second question comes from Mackenzie, who's asking, do you think recruiters hold it against you if you've applied to your dream company several times in the past? I'm so glad that Mackenzie asked this because all of us have felt this, right? We've all applied to our quote dream company, been rejected, and then wondered if we should apply again. And if we decide to and we get rejected again, you know, with each rejection, that doubt tends to build, you know, am I going to be blackballed from this place? Am I annoying people? And the answer to this is no across the board. You are never annoying people. You are never bothering people. You are never blackballed from a company if you are applying respectfully and in earnest, right? Obviously, if you, you know, scream at a recruiter for ghosting you or treat somebody poorly because you're frustrated with the rejections, then yeah, I mean, that's probably not going to be a good look and that's going to maybe blackball you. But if you are genuinely going out there, putting your best foot forward, being respectful, uh, being persistent, that's totally fine. And that is honestly how most people get into these dream companies. You know, for me, I was rejected from Google, I think it was about eight times before I finally got in the door on my ninth. And that took me to the final round. And same with Microsoft, I was rejected five times before finally on the sixth try, I ended up going all the way to the offer stage, right? And the same is true for a lot of our clients. We had one of them just land a job at Google as, as a recruiter, and he had applied Uh, something similar to what I did seven or eight times before over the past five years and was rejected for all of them. This is going to be more of the rule than the exception for these larger companies. And each time you go through the process, you're going to learn a little bit more and you're going to get a little bit closer to actually securing that interview and actually securing that offer because you're going to say, I I wish I did this differently or, you know, I didn't do that well and I need to improve on that next time. Or here's this piece of data that I didn't know about the process that I I know now after going through that last interview process. So you, you can use all that to improve and therefore, you know, boost your chances of, of getting the offer. So don't think that people are holding it against you, that you're going to be blackballed, that you're never going to get a role there, even if you've been rejected a bunch of times. Keep at it, especially if this is a dream company. The only way to guarantee that you don't get the job is for you to give up. If you keep showing up, if you keep applying, if you keep working on upskilling and improving your experience and your pitch, eventually you are going to break that door down and you will get that offer. Our next question comes from Jen, who's asking, how do you overcome burnout so you're ready for your next job? Now, this is another great question because typically when we are at the end of the job search and we've secured an offer, there's a couple of things going on. One, you've just spent probably several months, if not more, job searching, which is exhausting. It's probably one of the most exhausting endeavors that anybody can go on. And you've probably been doing that with a full-time job. But even if you haven't, the stress of not having that job can really weigh on you as well. So in both situations, whether you're employed or unemployed, you're dealing with essentially two full-time jobs, which is one, your full-time job, or the fact that you're unemployed and you need a job, and then the actual job search itself. So you're probably pretty freaking exhausted at this point. And then you layer on top of that, some reasons that you might have left your last job. 
it could be that you were just ready for a change. But for a lot of people, they have a toxic manager or they're in a toxic culture or the company, you know, laid off a whole bunch of people and they're worried they're next. There's a lot of distress they're dealing with. And so it's natural to feel really, really burned out right at the moment when you need to gear up for this new job. So there are a couple of things that you can do here. First and foremost, you want to take a look at your schedule and what you have available to you at your current job. So something that you could do is bake in a couple of vacation days or a little bit longer if you feel like that's kosher to take some time off to unwind and then you can come back and put in your notice when it feels good. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating for taking a two-week vacation and then coming back and the very next day putting in your two-week notice. Uh, I don't think that would go over super well. But something that you could do is take a couple of days and then, you know, wait a week or two and do that. Or you could take a couple-week vacation, burn through your PTO, and then you could wait, you know, a couple more weeks and then put in your notice. The other thing is that unless you're on an unlimited PTO plan, PTO tends to accrue and you will actually get paid out for those days. So if you put in your notice and you bake in a little bit of a buffer before your next roll starts, you'll actually technically get paid for those days because your past company has to pay you out for the PTO hours that you've accrued. So the biggest thing that you can do here is just set your start date accordingly with the new company. So say you need to put in two weeks notice with your current company, well, you could extend your start date another two weeks or another three weeks or a month with your new company. And then you could take that time off to rest, reset and recharge. That is honestly the best way to do this because you're not worried about burning a bridge with your past employer, but you're also being able to take the time you need before you jump in with a new employer. And most new employers will be totally understanding of this as long as the the time frame is reasonable. You know, if you ask for three months before your your start date, that probably wouldn't work out. But anywhere between two weeks and a month is is pretty good. And I would say is is going to be readily accepted by, you know, your next company here. So that's the best way to handle this. And it's so important that you do that. Some people will push through this and they'll just say, well, I'll get to the new company, you know, things will be different. I'll feel excited and I'll be good to go. But the problem with that is when we brush burnout under the rug and when we brush these emotions under the rug, they tend to fester and they tend to grow. And then they kind of rear their head uh, in a bigger way at possibly the worst time. And so the last thing you want to do is jump into a new job where you're hoping to make a great mark and where you're hoping to really set yourself apart. And then you're just burned out and you can't do all the things that you're hoping to do. So please make sure that you do take this time in some capacity. And Jen, I really appreciate you asking this question because it is really, really important. The next question comes from Rich, who's asking, are resume and LinkedIn profile rewrites not worth spending money on? So basically, is it worth the money for a resume and a LinkedIn profile rewrite? So I have a couple of thoughts here. And when it comes to doing anything in life, Seeking out expert help from people who have done this before and who have a lot of expertise in that situation or that area is almost always a good idea if you can budget for it. That's why you see, you know, even the top people in their field, professional athletes, they have coaches, right? They have coaches for a reason because they are great at what they do, but they still need that extra set of eyes and that third party who can look at their game, who can look at what they're doing and show them their blind spots. So, you know, Michael Jordan had a coach, right? Tiger Woods had a coach. Tom Brady had a coach. Rafael Nadal has a coach, right? All these people have these coaches. And this is the best and fastest way to accelerate your results and your learning for sure. But there is a bit of a differentiator that I want to drop in here. And that is the people who do it for you versus the people who do it with you. I personally don't recommend that you hire somebody to do this for you, to write your resume or your LinkedIn profile for you. And there's two major reasons for that. The first is that 
these people will never know your story as well as you do. And yes, some of them, the really good ones, they'll do an intake interview where they'll ask you all about your experience. They'll have you walk through your entire career history in a 30 minute call, an hour long call. And that is great. That is way better than not doing it. But there's no way that somebody else can capture all of the details of your life experience and your work experience in a one hour call. I'm sorry to say. So even then, that person is operating with limited information that you give them, whereas you know everything that you've done and you can dig deeper once some of these things are prompted. So for example, if you wrote something on your resume and then you learned you know, through working with somebody that there's a better way to write that or maybe some different experience would be helpful presented in X way, you might remember, oh, here's this thing that I did and I didn't think about that before. It wouldn't have come up in that intake interview, but now I remember it because I've been prompted. Let me go put that in my resume. So nobody else is going to be able to do that for you. And so if you hire somebody to write your resume for you, there are going to be pieces missing. That's not to say it won't be better than what you have. That's not to say that it won't be effective, but there will be pieces missing and that could be a potential concern. The next reason why having somebody do it for you can be a problem is that they're basically handing you a fish instead of teaching you to fish. And for most people listening to this, the job that you're in now, the job that you're getting next, that's not gonna be the last job in your career. You're gonna have to go through this process again. And so if you paid somebody to write your resume, you're gonna have to pay them again and again and again for each different job search that you go on. Whereas if you just take the time to learn the fundamentals and the foundations of writing a great resume, you can do it yourself indefinitely and you don't have to hire anybody. So whether it's resumes or LinkedIn or interviewing or negotiation or anything else that you want coaching on in your life, I always recommend that you hire somebody who's gonna teach you how to do it, who's gonna do it with you rather than doing it for you because doing it for you is a one-off and you're gonna have to keep spending money. You're gonna have to keep hiring somebody to do it for you in the future if you can't do it yourself. So it's always better to learn how to do something yourself instead of having somebody else do it for you. And if you find somebody out there who is going to show you how to do it and do it well, that person is absolutely worth spending money on because they are gonna fast track your learnings. You're not gonna have to DIY. You're not gonna have to test anything. You're gonna get all of the right learnings the first time around, but you're also gonna learn the strategies and the foundations and the best practices that you're gonna be able to implement in the future so you don't have to hire that coach again. And our last question comes from Jasmine, who said, I noticed you've changed up some of your content. What new channels and styles are you testing and what are you doubling down on? So this is another great question because the content creation game is always changing, especially if the content you're creating is on social media, which you know many of us are. There are few channels outside of that. You know, Podcasting, blogging are a couple of them, but by and large, most of the content creation is happening on social media and those platforms have algorithms which change and ebb and flow based on the company's goals and based on you know, what the audience uh, is, is wanting and resonating with. So for me, uh, I saw a bit of an interesting change over the past year. My LinkedIn engagement actually dropped about 70 to 80% over the course of 2022. And naturally, you know, I wanted to know why that was happening. And this has happened to me before as well. So I have a couple of processes that I go through in order to understand you know, what's working on the platform, what's not, et cetera. So I did that, but something was really different this time. In the past, a lot of that analysis just led to kind of different styles of the same format of posts. So by and large, uh, in LinkedIn's history, a lot of those posts were text-based and it was different formats and styles of text-based posts that were working well. Now we've started to see some interesting shifts. And if you've been on LinkedIn, you probably noticed this too, but a lot of people are taking those Twitter threads, they're screenshotting them and they're repurposing them into carousels on LinkedIn. 
And that is working really, really well. Some other folks are doing, you know, some of these short animated uh, situations. And of course, the text posts are still doing okay in, in certain capacities. They're doing well in, in other in other capacities, specific capacities as well. But basically, I had to revamp my content systems to kind of bring my numbers back up to, to where they had been in the past. So basically, what I've done is I've centered a lot of my content creation around those Twitter threads that I then repurpose onto LinkedIn. And I actually really like this setup. I don't know how long it'll last. Uh, we'll see what the algorithm does. But I really like this setup now because I can create once. I can write one Twitter thread. I put it out there on Twitter and whatever happens there is icing on the cake. Then I repurpose it to LinkedIn and then I can continue to expand from there. So I can also put it you know, over on Instagram. I can repurpose it into a newsletter. Um, so there's a lot of different ways uh, that we can take that single piece of content and put it out there. And it's also creating additional layers of content. So you can have one idea and you can present it many different ways, right? You can record a podcast on it. You can write a short LinkedIn post on it. You can record a video for social on it. You can write a thread on it. And this is really awesome because the more, you know, iterations of that piece of content that you have, the more that you can do with it. So that's basically what I'm thinking about right now. But the most important lesson here is that these algorithms and these platforms are always changing. And so if you just continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, you are going to get left behind. You need to have a system to understand you know, what's working on the platform to do some of this analysis. And then you also have to be willing to pivot away from stuff that had worked for you for a very long time in order to keep up with these trends. So it is some work for sure, um, but it's not you know, anything crazy. You just have to be proactive about this. So I've had to do this. This is about the third or fourth time that I've had to make some of these adjustments. But I've noticed that we've had to make these adjustments more recently. I kind of did the exact same thing on LinkedIn for the first three, four-ish years that I was on there. And then mostly in the last two, I think LinkedIn has been really trying to find their identity as a social platform. And they've been, you know, trying different things. You know, most recently they're 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 putting in a lot of effort to bring in creators from other platforms. And that's going to change the type of content on the platform. And that's going to change, you know, the algorithm and all this stuff. So I think LinkedIn is just, you know, doing a lot of tests, experiments, trying to figure out who they are and what's working for them. And I think that's causing some changes in the algo that the rest of us just have to adapt to. So that's a, a little snippet into the life of content creation. Um, if anybody else is a creator out there, you know, hopefully that that helps you. Uh, or if you're thinking about it, you know, just gives you a little more insight into what the game is like. But that's it for today's Ask Austin Anything episode. Thank you all, as always, for listening. If you have a question that you want me to answer for you in a future Ask Austin Anything, just go to cultivatedculture.com forward slash AAA. That's the letter A three times. Submit your question there. I will check it out and I will try to get you an answer in the next episode of the podcast. 